everyone. Welcome to this edition of the BreastCancer.org podcast. I'm Jamie DiPolo, the senior editor at BreastCancer.org. Our guest today is Dr. Alexander Miller. He's a surgical oncologist who specializes in treating breast cancer and people at high risk for the disease. Currently at the START Center for Cancer Care in San Antonio, Texas, Dr. Miller trained at MD Anderson and the Mayo Clinic. He has received awards for excellence in research, education, and patient care. He has been lead or collaborating researcher for several studies on breast cancer treatments, prevention, genetic testing, and the psychosocial experiences of people receiving cancer care. Today, he's going to talk to us about managing the side effects that can happen after breast cancer surgery. Dr. Miller, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. So to start, are there uh, common side effects, or can you tell us a little bit about the most common side effects after breast cancer surgery and whether they're common for both mastectomy and lumpectomy, or are there certain side effects that you see more often with each particular type of surgery? Okay. So, so you're right to distinguish between mastectomy and lumpectomy. Um, lumpectomy is removal of the breast cancer with a normal rim of tissue um, that's not affected by cancer, um, and then usually we'll remove lymph nodes through a separate incision. Um, that's usually a less um, significant procedure. Uh, most of the time it's an outpatient surgical procedure, but certainly there are some side effects that are associated with it. Uh, I usually tell patients to ex- expect some pain Um, some swelling of the breast. It's important to note that the breast um, or any tissue that's under the skin, when you remove tissue, um, the body will produce some fluid. And so it's very normal to have some fluid in the cavity that's created by removing breast tissue. Um, In the course of a normal lumpectomy, this is um, perfectly to be expected and usually doesn't cause any problems and in fact helps the contour and the appearance um, of the area of surgery in the breast um, for a long period of time. But it's, it's worthwhile to let patients know to anticipate it. Sometimes if they get up uh, abruptly or change positions, they'll actually feel sloshing of fluid. So that, that fluid is very normal. Um, we don't want too much, but a little bit will be absorbed by the body in time. Uh, under the arm where we remove lymph nodes, again, you can develop some fluid there. Most of the time, there's no need to remove it or drain it, uh, but it's uh, important to let patients know that there can be the occasional risk of infection of the skin, uh, which would be um, noted by uh, redness or, or warmth of the skin um, or um, an enlarged amount of fluid to the point where it almost feels like a small a piece of fruit is under the arm, and that would denote enough fluid that maybe we might have to drain it. Uh, Not surgically necessarily. Uh, Most doctors can do this in the office or have a radiologist they work with who can do it with an ultrasound machine. So so the main uh, complications from lumpectomy would be um, the the possibility of swelling or this fluid, uh, the possibility of infection, although the chance for that in most practices is probably 5% or less. There's also a small risk of bleeding, but again, most of the time when we do a lumpectomy and remove a lymph node or two, the amount of tissue removed is so small and our incisions are so small, there's not a lot of room for blood to accumulate, so that's very fortunate. Um, And then there will be times, uh, especially with lymph node removal, 
when the arm, um, the arm that's just beyond the, the shoulder toward the elbow might feel uh, tight or feel some pulling, um, sometimes even some numbness of the back of the arm, which hopefully is temporary, uh, those things can occur as well. And so most patients, like I say, uh, can be treated as outpatients, and um, they might take uh, a couple of days' worth of um, prescribed pain medicine and then usually uh, can transition to something like Advil or Motrin or Tylenol. Uh, that's in distinction to a mastectomy. So again, everybody's practice is different and every patient's condition is unique, but a mastectomy um, can be done either at the time of an immediate plastic surgical reconstruction or separate from that. And the complications and things that we look for are much different depending on uh, what else gets done at the time of mastectomy. So a patient who is having a mastectomy without reconstruction, um, they do have a lot more tissue removed because then we're removing all the breast tissue rather than just the area around the tumor. So there's a larger area um, that we operate on and consequently a larger area that might be prone to developing fluid or blood or um, the possibility of infection. So in this case, most surgeons will leave a plastic drain uh, they will drain fluid out after the surgery. And that drain will usually be in uh, place for at least a week or two. Um, patients are instructed before surgery to anticipate that this drain will be in place. And then after surgery, we, we talk with the nurses about how to take care of the drain, uh, record how much comes out, uh, empty it at least twice a day. And in most communities, uh, there is the option of having a visiting nurse or um, health worker to come to the, the home and actually assist with this. Uh, you can still take a shower with the drain in place, but, but it is sort of an added um, item to be aware of. Most of the time now with mastectomies, we don't make a separate incision to remove lymph nodes. So the lymph nodes, if they were removed, will be removed uh, use, using the same incision, but patients still might feel that pulling or tightening under the arm or um, on occasion uh, this numbness in the back of the arm. The reason for numbness in the back of the arm is that uh, there are nerves that go from the chest wall to the arm that are right, um, almost like um, uh, high wires uh, that we might see on telephone lines. And those wires are in between and around where the lymph nodes are. So sometimes those nerves get irritated or damaged. In most cases, with the type of surgery we do where we don't remove many lymph nodes anymore, um, if, if there is damage to them, um, some numbness in the back of the arm just below the shoulder is, can occur for about two to four weeks and then usually gets completely resolved. Occasionally, if there are lymph nodes involved um, that do have uh, cancer in them, and they need to be surgically removed. Sometimes these nerves are sacrificed, and then uh, that might cause permanent numbness of the back of the arm. This was something that was very common um, 15 to 20 years ago when almost all women had full removal of lymph nodes. But now that we do um, selective lymph node removal or what's called sentinel lymph node mapping, this is much less common, hopefully. Um, so, in addition to the other things I mentioned, you know, there's always a risk of an infection developing and um, in some practices, antibiotics are provided after surgery. In others, um, antibiotics are only given if there is a concern for infection, which again might be noticed by the patient 
uh, with redness of the skin or um, warmth of the skin. Um, and bleeding is a little bit higher risk in a mastectomy uh, or after a mastectomy uh, without reconstruction because, as I mentioned, there's a much larger area that's operated and there's a lot more room for blood to accumulate. The drains that we placed can help remove this blood, but uh, if we notice, especially in the first day or two after surgery, that a patient is accumulating blood under the skin where we have operated, then sometimes it's necessary to remove that blood with a second surgery. Um, again, this shouldn't happen in most practices more than about 10% of the time, but more and more of our patients um, are coming to us on blood thinners either because they've had blood clots in the past, an irregular heart rhythm in the past, or some other condition that uh, causes them to be on blood thinners. And so because of that, um, I think there is a little higher risk of, of bleeding after a mastectomy than there used to be. There's also um, the situation of having a mastectomy, but then having immediate reconstruction at the same time. In most practices, and certainly in mine, this is done in collaboration with a plastic surgeon where I will remove the breast tissue and the lymph nodes and the plastic surgeon will perform a reconstruction during the same surgery. And there are many types of reconstructions that are possible, but essentially the, the biggest difference is either placing an, a tissue expander and then later on exchanging that for an implant or using the patient's own tissue, such as the abdominal uh, flap, it's called, or um, perhaps the tissue or the muscle of the back. When these reconstructions are performed at the time of mastectomy, um, then there can be other complications that can occur. There might be a little more pain. Uh, when, when our plastic surgeons use the abdominal tissue, there's actually a lot more pain. But on the other hand, um, many measures are taken in the operating room to reduce that. And we give longer-acting um, injectable pain medicine and also pain medicine um, during the recovery period. Um, and certainly when there's more surgery involving more locations, then there's also the risk for bleeding or infection or swelling um, in these other operative sites. Uh, but in most practices, the plastic surgeons will specifically uh, review the um, possible side effects and complications of their portion of the procedure. And um, in most practices, again, where there are very experienced surgeons involved, uh, usually these are kept to a minimum. So I think that sort of uh, at least uh, loosely describes um, the main complications and things that we um, recognize in the first several days to weeks after surgery. Okay, thank you. I do have a couple questions on that. Uh, you mentioned bleeding as a possible side effect. Um, and when you were describing it, it sounded like this this would be something that the body's doing producing fluid or blood because of the tissue that's been taken out and it should be taken care of you know with the drain um, but how common or and serious is it that the person is actually bleeding from an open vessel that was perhaps missed during surgery it, it should be pretty rare it's a good question it should be very rare um, you know, probably the, the chance of that happening in most practices is no more than 10%, maybe 15%. But like I say, I think the thing that's changed, um, and again, the, you know, the, the type of surgery and the techniques we used have, have also changed over time. But the, the biggest change I notice over the last few years is the number of patients 
um, who see us who are already on blood thinners. And so we're always trying to uh, manage the risk of being off or on those blood thinners and, and thereby the risk of either making clot that could travel to the legs, the lungs, or even um, to get a stroke versus the risk of bleeding. So we're trying to get those blood thinners um, on and off uh, around the time of surgery as quickly as possible. And yet we recognize that there may be a a patient or two who, because we've tried to get them back on blood thinners to avoid another complication involving their, you know, a a heart attack or a stroke um, or a blood clot, um, they may experience some bleeding from that. Um, and, and what, what happens with blood vessels, normally blood vessels are treated by either, uh, heating them or cauterization, or we have small uh, metal clips that we use at the time of surgery, but occasionally a very small blood vessel will either be in spasm or very tight at the time of surgery and we won't see a bleeding. And then over the next 12 to 36 hours, it might, um, expand again or dilate and, and bleeding might be caused. So the most important thing for for a mastectomy patient is that they're watched very closely, especially in the first day or two. In most practices, uh, women who undergo mastectomy without reconstruction are in the hospital at least overnight, if not two nights. And the nurses um, in those facilities need to be educated as to what to look for um, in terms of bleeding. Uh, certainly blood from the drain um, that's profuse would be one indication. But it's it's interesting that patients and nurses sometimes don't recognize that after we perform a mastectomy, the, the chest wall will look very thin and almost the skin is up against the chest wall and obviously the breast tissue has been removed. But sometimes with bleeding, it'll look like um, not a lot of tissue has been removed, but it won't look abnormal necessarily, and people won't recognize for several hours that there might be bleeding. So it's something that um, everyone needs to be educated about so they can recognize sooner rather than later. Sometimes if we identify uh, a bit of bleeding after surgery, it can be controlled without going back to the operating room. But if it's allowed to persist for several hours, then usually we'll go back to the operating room and remove it. Okay, that's very helpful. Thank you. Uh, I'm also wondering about women who have mastectomy but do not plan to have any type of reconstruction. So there would be no tissue expander, no um, microsurgery. And are there any um, different or special side effects that those particular cases might have, or is it the same as a mastectomy? Beyond what we've already discussed, the the main thing that I I recognize, and I think it's more of a a longer term um, issue after they've recovered, is women, especially younger women who choose not to have reconstruction, uh, often, even though they've seen perhaps pictures uh, or other images online or elsewhere, they're really not prepared for what their bodies will look like um, having not had reconstruction when they recover. And the first thing that they will look at is their incisions and also how, if there is any extra uh, skin from from the breast, where that 
fits on their body. Um, many women, especially larger women, will notice that there's excess skin, especially under their arm. And we, we used to um, make large incisions and take a lot of skin to the point where that skin was tight. Rarely in my practice do I do that anymore, either because patients might need radiation, even after mastectomy, for more of what we call locally advanced breast cancer, or because in discussion with the patient before surgery, they explain that while they don't want reconstruction immediately, they might want it down the road, and our plastic surgeons prefer to have extra skin if possible, um, so they, that will enhance and optimize their reconstruction. So I think the, the biggest thing that, that women notice is um, the appearance of their incisions, um, how how they, um, whether or not they're symmetrical, if they have um, surgery on both sides or bilateral surgery, and also where the extra skin um, resides and how that feels to them. There, and there's really two groups of women that end up not having reconstruction, at least in, in my practice. One group are younger, um, very astute women who have um, either friends and or um, extensive exposure to other materials, including online, and they've decided for whatever reason that, that reconstruction is not important to them. Some of them will go on and have tattooing of their um, where the breast tissue was or their chest wall. And, and they really have very specific ideas about how they want to look afterwards. Um, there's another group of women who, for whatever reason, are just not good surgical candidates for reconstruction. They might have other medical conditions or be somewhat older, uh, less active. And so that's a different group of patients. Um, that group of patients tends to have more of a problem with it, that extra skin. And there are some methods for pulling that extra skin in away from um, under the arm that they can discuss with their surgeons before surgery and even after. Um, the first group of women who have these very specific ideas about not wanting reconstruction and how they want to look, sometimes uh, even though we don't do reconstruction, we will work with our plastic surgeons after the mastectomy and they've recovered to refine uh, or alter their incisions in some way if they're not happy with them. And and I've certainly seen that happen a couple of times. So the the best thing someone could do is definitely talk to the surgeon beforehand and explore all the options for reconstruction or not reconstruction and you know, ask questions accordingly so that, say, if a woman is very sure she never wants reconstruction, she can have the outcome she wants, whereas if she may want reconstruction down the road, then that would you would probably do different incisions or leave more skin. So it sounds like the bottom line is to definitely talk, talk to the surgeon and explore all the options. It's really important, and it's really important that women make choices for themselves um, so many times I'll see uh, women who, either because of their spouses or significant others, um, are trying to accommodate those people. And all our studies and experience demonstrate that, that women really have to make the choice that they're most comfortable for individually and for themselves. They should not feel rushed either to make these choices. Um, breast cancer is not something that develops overnight. And so uh, they should feel very comfortable taking 
a week or more to make a decision. And if they, after they leave the surgeon's office, they decide, you know what, I'd, I'd like to visit with a plastic surgeon, um, even though the surgeon may have recommended lumpectomy. Uh, <clears throat> excuse me, no surgeon should be uncomfortable with that decision or request and should accommodate it. If they have other questions after they've left the office, they should, again, recontact their surgeon to ask more questions. And they should also feel comfortable always getting a second opinion. Many times, um, surgeons' recommendations are based on the local community practice. So, for example, if a surgeon is in a community where the plastic surgeons are not able to provide uh, microsurgical reconstruction using the patient's own tissue, they won't offer it necessarily. Um, and yet, I think it's important if, if patients have questions about this to ask, well, where is the closest surgeon or practice that, that could offer this option? And is that something that in an ideal world would be appropriate for me? Um, and similarly, just with the choice of lumpectomy versus mastectomy, we know uh, based on the medical literature that when patients are chosen appropriately, the, the outcome or the risk of getting cancer, again, is very low with either choice, either a lumpectomy, in which case some sort of radiation is needed after, or a mastectomy when uh, most of the time radiation is not needed. But if these operations are done appropriately, the chance that the, the cancer will come back in that area, in that, that breast, um, are about 7%, plus or minus a, a few percentage points. So the, the outcomes are equivalent, and yet um, there's a lot of pressure in certain practices to really try to do lumpectomies. There's certain pressure in other practices to recommend mastectomies, and in even others to recommend doing bilateral breast surgery. And all of these decisions are very individual. Um, there are several criteria that each decision should be um, made using, and again, a a patient really has to feel comfortable that she's receiving all the options. And if she's not a candidate for one of these, one of these procedures, she needs to ask her surgeon why and get a very reasonable and a, appropriate answer. And if she still has more questions afterwards, um, as I said, feel free to recontact the surgeon or, or seek out other sources of information. Excellent advice. One topic we haven't touched on yet is lymphedema. And I know from our site visitors, many people are have that condition. Many people are afraid of that condition as they're going into surgery. In your experience, how common is that? And are there things a woman can do ahead of time, say having her arms measured to see if there is, if any swelling does develop, um, to keep tabs on it, do as much you know risk reduction as possible? Are there things that you recommend for that? That's a great question. So again, with in the newer era of removing fewer lymph nodes, and so we have a technique called sentinel lymph node mapping using uh, either a very safe radioactive material and or a, um, a blue dye that um, tell, demonstrates lymph nodes that would be most likely to have cancer, uh, we are removing fewer lymph nodes. And in the course of removing fewer lymph nodes, the um, occurrence of lymphedema has declined tremendously. So whereas it might have been as high as 20 to 25% in the past, now, um, if women only have a couple of lymph nodes removed, 
the chance of having noticeable or, or significant lymphedema should be 5% or less. However, there are always women who will have some amount of arm swelling. And again, we would hope that most of it is very minimal and can be treated with uh, massage therapy and perhaps physical therapy. Uh, but some women still, uh, either because of their disease or certain anatomic um, features, uh, will have the, the sort of older type of arm swelling that, that people might think of uh, that's very recognizable. Now, there is a new procedure um, in which lymph node tissue and other types of tissue can be moved under the arm and, and uh, reconstructed there, typically, again, by either microsurgeons or specialized uh, reconstructive surgeons, and that's, that's something to discuss with the surgeon. But to answer your question in terms of trying to prevent it, um, the, the first step, no question, is removing as little tissue as possible to provide appropriate treatment. And then once um, the surgery has occurred, um, taking care to uh, probably not have blood draws in that arm, but uh, the, the idea of not being able to have a blood pressure check, I think, is probably antiquated. Um, there's really no reason a patient can't have their blood pressure checked a few weeks to perhaps uh, a month or two after surgery once they've healed. Uh, because just compressing the arm should not cause lymphedema. What can trigger lymphedema is something like a scratch or an insect bite or a, a, a bite from a pet um, or some type of wound that's created in the hand or the arm. And if a patient who's had lymph node removal ex undergoes or experiences any of these types of traumatic um, events, they should contact their doctor because sometimes uh, antibiotics will be recommended or a special cleansing of the arm will be recommended because um, the more lymph nodes that are removed, the more prone someone is to swelling and to infection of the arm. And it's that infection or swelling, if it's not um, corrected promptly, that can lead to lymphedema. So, so that's very important. And again, um, as with all these things that we're discussing, very important to discuss uh, that risk or, or um, the possibility of that occurring with their surgeon and to find out what the surgeon's experience is with that and how they manage it. In our practice, we have a dedicated physical therapy group um, that manages um, patients with lymphedema. Uh, it's pretty rare that they have to do much more than uh, massage therapy and some other types of exercises, but occasionally a woman with significant lymphedema will be counseled to wear a elastic support garment um, that gets fitted uh, on their arm. Um, these are not particularly comfortable, especially in the summertime when it's hot, but on the other hand, really can reduce the amount of swelling uh, that women have. Thank you. All very good points. And finally, I'm wondering, do you give your patients uh, a list of things to do before surgery in the hospital that can help reduce any side effects from surgery or or things to do at home afterward I'm just wondering if you give that if there are any tips that people who are preparing for getting ready for surgery right now uh, can take away from this sure so the, the first thing would be um, to, we try to identify if someone is a smoker. And if someone's a smoker, we really ask that they either reduce 
the amount that they're smoking or get into some type of smoking cessation program. Um, there's clear evidence that smoking interferes with wound healing, probably by interfering with um, the normal anatomy of blood vessels and circulation. And so if there's any opportunity to intervene uh, with smokers before surgery, we really try to do that. And in fact, some of our plastic surgical colleagues will test patients for nicotine in their body. And if the nicotine level is too high, they will not proceed with uh, reconstruction at that time. So that's very important. The other things we discuss are uh, healthy eating and exercise and getting rest. Um, these are always challenging, even when life is normal and, and when life's been um, tilted because of a cancer diagnosis, it's even more difficult. But it took many years to get um, very good information on the correlation between um, recovering from and being treated for cancer and things like um, a healthy diet, uh, exercise, and sleep. And so we really try to encourage patients to eat healthy. And by that, I mean, um, if they are younger than 65, uh, reducing the amount of animal protein they eat, especially red meat, um, trying to exercise at least 30 minutes, three to four times a week, and getting, getting at least eight hours of sleep a night. Um, it's not always possible, but, but these are the goals uh, for which we strive. And, and that even um, is recommended after surgery with recognizing that exercise has to be curtailed and altered based on the type of operation that they have. So these are very important things. Um, we want to know if our patients have any difficulties, for example, when uh, there was a flu epidemic um, during the fall and, and the winter, uh, we had to postpone many surgeries because patients had flu-like symptoms and we don't want to be operating uh, during that period of time um, or any other types of um, alterations in their health. There are times where we will get uh, or identify on um, x-rays and tests that we do before surgery, certain abnormalities. And if we find abnormalities in blood tests or chest x-rays or EKGs, um, we want to check on all those things before we go to surgery to make sure that the patient is as healthy as they can be um, before they, they undergo these procedures. In addition, around the time of surgery, uh, many physicians will recommend um, that patients wash their bodies with uh, very good antibacterial soap to, again, reduce the chance of a skin infection. And so uh, different surgeons will have uh, certain regimens that they will uh, discuss with patients to use certain types of antibacterial soaps if they're not allergic to those that will help cut down on the risk of um, infection. Uh, most surgeons do not want their patients to shave, especially under their arms, within about two to three days of surgery, if not more. We might do some shaving uh, around the surgical sites the, the day of surgery, but our information and medical literature demonstrates that if there's shaving that's done about two days or within one to two days before surgery, that actually increases the risk of an infection. So the timing of, of any types of, of shaving or alteration of the skin is very important. Um, and I think those are, are probably the most important um, preoperative considerations. Thank you so much, Dr. Miller. This has been very helpful, and I think the information is going to be very valuable for our site visitors. My pleasure. 
Thank you very much.